Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with bereavement professionals. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. At the age of 24, Cynthia Wimple found herself suddenly grieving the deaths of both of her parents. Six weeks after her mother died from a sudden and fast-moving rare brain disease, her father died of suicide. While most of her peers were just starting their lives as adults, Cynthia found herself with no parents, no home, and no one her own age who could relate to losing both parents before you're even 25. Cynthia, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. You know, we can be so quick to jump into how life has radically changed when people die and, you know, how everything is just different when we're grieving. And then sometimes we can forget to also talk about the people the reason why we're grieving. And I know we're going to talk a lot about what it was like to be a grieving young adult and kind of be alone in that experience. But I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your parents. Who were they and what were they like? So my mother was a teacher and she was sort of a ray of sunshine, very positive. People gravitated to her. She had great energy. Um, My father was an engineer, very methodical, very quiet, but just fully engaged in being parents, just giving their heart and soul to us. What were some of the things that both of them loved? So my mother loved conversation. I mean, she loved to meet people and talk to people and read. And um, she was a big philosopher. So she loved when people gathered around and they just talked about big life experiences. And my father loved baseball and sports and just being a family. Pretty simple. You know, we're a pretty simple family. Seems like maybe they complemented each other pretty well. They did. Correct. And so, you know, you grew up with these two people who are kind of showing you how to be in the world as a kid and as a teenager, and then you just are starting to jump into life as an adult. And I almost said independent, but that's such an interesting term to think about when you're a young adult, because sometimes you're starting to explore independence, but oftentimes have that security of family to return back to. And in your experience, that safety net just went away. Well, what was different or what did you notice about grieving at that time period as a 24-year-old? So I was 24 and I was also in the early 90s. So there was no internet. You didn't know anybody else that had lost. And this is particular interest to me because what I saw was that people who lost a parent prior to 18 years old, people would gravitate to them and take care of them because they needed a mother or father. And if you lost in your early 30s, you probably had you know, a career or maybe a family, but some stability. But in your early 20s, you had nothing. You just were really wandering in the world trying to figure out how to do it. And there you go and you lost this incredibly supportive safety net. So there was periods of being very alone. It's such an interesting point you make of how, you know, for kids who are under 18, there may be a lot of people kind of gathering around them and then people in their 30s maybe creating their own nuclear family but then you're in this in-between zone. You sort of have this internal conflict that I always talk about, which is like, you're very old. You have a lot of wisdom, but you have no life experience. And you just really want to be a young person, but you, you have this internal voice that knows so much because you've seen so much now. So who and what did you turn to? 
you know, it's funny. Um, I right after it happened, I went back to law school. I was in my third year of law school, and for me, uh, that stability and that predictability was so comforting because people knew me and they knew who I was prior to everything happening. So I went back. I was a regular student, and I surrounded myself with a lot of very, very dear friends. Because adults, believe it or not, really were sort of afraid of us. They thought, you know, how could this happen to this family? So it was really my contemporaries that were my best support and my siblings. So the other adults in your world, you said were sort of afraid of your family based on what had happened? Right. I mean, with the exception of a couple of close relatives, that was it. Most most adults could not believe what had happened in such a short period of time. And then somehow your peers were able to kind of come forward and be present with that. They were much more empathetic. It's interesting. It almost sounds like the opposite of what I hear a lot from people who are in that same age range, that sometimes their friends are the ones that are worried, like this happened and that could happen to me, so I don't want to be part of it. And then people who are older in their life who have already experienced a death or a loss of some sort have more fortitude for being present with it. So it's interesting to hear it was so different for you. I think at that age, the thing that's so interesting is you become sort of like an outsider looking into the world because, you know, your contemporaries are trying to sort of get away from their family and be independent. And really all you want is a family. And, you know, they think they're indestructible and you know, the truth is, which is life is really fragile. So you sort of have to have pretend a lot that, you know, you don't know all this information that, you know, right. Almost like you don't want to be the doom and gloom forecaster for your peers at that point. Right. Looking back or maybe even current day, what surprised you the most about grief and and perhaps continues to surprise you? I think what surprised me was that, you know, it doesn't allow you, life doesn't allow you to stop for tragedy. Like you wake up the next day and you're expected to sort of go on and, and you have to because you're here and, you know, you have to honor those who have gone before you. So I kind of was very linear. I thought that, okay, after so many years, I would be okay. And I am okay. But certain events sort of throw you right back to that moment. What types of events might take you right back to the the moment grief started? I would say like your first Mother's Day or a holiday or most recently for me was, um, and I write about this, was when my son went off to college. That was a huge sort of throwing me back to the moment in time of where everything happened. Yeah, I was struggling. And this is an essay that you wrote for uh, the website Option B, which if people out there are not familiar with it, Option B was started by Sheryl Sandberg. And there's a collection of uh, writers and essayists sharing their stories of grief and, and their ways into resilience and moving forward. And I was really struck in that essay because you talked about how you had to come to a place of understanding that even though this was a loss, your son leaving your home, and going to college, it, it wasn't a permanent loss in the same way of your parents dying, but it felt similar. It did. I mean, I feel like um, it was very difficult for me. Now that I have a second son going off to college, I, I know how sad I was because I'm so much better now. But um, it, I couldn't really distinguish between him leaving and losing him. So I had his door shut. Like for me, if he wasn't in the house, he was dead. Now, looking back, that makes no sense. But at the moment, it just evokes so many memories of, you know, a house that was empty. And so interesting to think, you know, other people may be in a situation in their 20s and a parent or both parents die. I imagine many of them are not imagining that one day if they have a child and that child just goes away to college, that it's going to bring back that same intensity. 
Right. I, yeah, I would never have thought that. Um, but also when your child goes off to college, they're creeping up to that age when you had lost. So you, it, it's, again, it makes you realize like you were so young. Speaking of age, are you, not to like call you out publicly about your age, but I'm just curious, are you at or past the age that your parents were when they died? So I am approaching a year away from when my mother passed away. So she uh, passed away at 53 or 52, and my father was 57. So I'm in that zone. And what's that been like to have have that number hanging out there of getting to the age that your mom was when she died? I think you feel very sorry for her that she lost out on a lot of opportunities and a lot of things she didn't get to see. And hard to imagine leaving your children at that age. So you go into that place of being less about what it was like for you to not have your mom as much as it is what it's like as a mom to not be there anymore physically with your kids. I think you kind of flip-flop. I'm very good at that. (laughs) I can go back and forth pretty quickly. Speaking to a family, uh, you write in your essay about how important it was for you to create family again after both of your parents died and that you were able to do that with marrying your husband and having three children. What was it like to create a family without the family you grew up with as it was there? Um, You know, it it wasn't easy. And I knew that's what I needed. Like I could not imagine going through this world without a family because that's, I mean, that, that's what meant the world to me. I always tell my kids that like, I couldn't never, we couldn't live long enough for me to thank them for all they've given me because they gave me back that family. So to me, that was the greatest gift. It affected how I parented though. I mean, I realized that I had a very finite period of time, like, and I had to be as present as I could. I had to teach as much as I could. And I had to, um, Make sure I appreciated every moment because I didn't know how long I had. So it made parenting feel very, I mean, I'm imagining parenting feels really pressurized no matter what's going on, but it seems like really that pressure of time of I have to get everything in as quickly as possible. And and appreciate it at the same time, really appreciate the moments. What does that look like for you? Like, how do you, because we hear a lot about that, right? Like stay in the moment, be appreciative, be grateful. How, how do you actually do that? I mean, I think the place that I navigated that the best was coming from the place of real sorrow when my son went to college, because, you know, you drop him off of college and they say, this is their life now. Don't interfere. Don't text. And I couldn't do that because to me, you know, we were so close. So, you know, I text, we text a lot or I'd go up and have lunch with him. I was still present in his life. And with my other two kids, I try as much as I can, you know, not to miss their events and and to really sit down with them um, when they get home from school or when I get home and really talk about what happened. Just have conversations like, what is your life like? Just really get to know them as people. So it seems like building those relationships are just so vital for you. So vital, right. And you've talked about how your grief has informed your parenting. Are there ways that your parents and how they were with you also comes through in your parenting? I think that um, they were so engaged and so hands-on and they really gave every ounce of their being. So I think I do that. I try to do that at least. I also think that we grew up in a home where there was great perspective. So, you know, nothing, everything was kind of correctable. Keep going on, work your hardest. So I try to um, impose that level of calm in my house that, you know, nothing is that overwhelming. Just do the best you can and just get up every day. How and this might be an odd question, but how did your kids respond to your level of engagement? I spent a lot of time with teenagers and I know some of them have a bit of like, I would like a little more space from my parent at this time in my life. 
I have to say I'm pretty lucky on that. I mean, I think I got really lucky on that. We're, we're just, we're very close. I mean, they have their own life. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but we're just very good friends. They're, they're some of my favorite people. What have you learned about yourself, you know, from the moment when you were 24 facing this devastating loss of both your parents to now, you know, entering into your fifties? Um, you know, I struggle with this because I wonder, did I really have to go through that to learn this? The big thing that always motivated me was I always wanted to stay the same. I wanted to make sure that if my parents arrived on earth 20 years later, that they would recognize me, that I still live with the same values that they had raised us with. And what I what I learned and only recently was that you can't stay the same. You change in both good and, you know, not so good ways. But life is evolving and you're not going to be exactly the same as you were before. But you had that urge at the beginning to like freeze everything yourself and so that they would walk right back into their life and recognize it. Right. So I didn't really do anything that was um, uncharacteristic of who I was. And then now, two decades later, it sounds like you're finding a little more space for that growth and that change. Correct. Right. Because that's how life is. I think that's sort of the lawyer in me. Everything was linear. You know, you do X, Y, and Z would happen, but that's really not how life goes. It's always changing in different directions. As much as we try to make it go linearly, linearly, <laughs> doesn't seem like it does that very well. No, it does not. <laughs> you know, we talked a little bit about what surprised you about grief. And the other thing that I know so many people deal with, no matter how old they are, when someone in their life dies is, and there's lots of words for it. Some people will use the word trigger. Some people will use the word activation, being caught off guard. Can you share, you know, you mentioned that when your son was graduating from high school, that was really a time when the grief rose up and caught you off guard. Are there other times or moments when that's happened? Um, I think the first mother's day is a big deal um, because you're, you're there. So you're celebrating yourself as a mother, but then the mother, you know, isn't here. So you go back and forth and back and forth with that. Christmas is when there's no grandparents and you're the mother, the father, I mean, you're the mother, the grandmother, the grandfather. So um, little things like that. I've learned over the years to really appreciate what I have instead of what I don't have. But that, that's been a process. I'm curious too, because those are, you know, ones we sort of almost expect, right? Like Mother's Day and holidays and other significant days. Were there particular things unique to the relationship you had with your mom and your dad that maybe another person grieving wouldn't connect to? I think my mother and I were just the best of friends. You know, we were just very similar. So to me, um, the world would become okay if she, if she could tell you sort of that it was going to be okay. So she was a a source of such strength for me that losing that, I didn't think I was going to be as good as mother as I am or as good at this or that because she was sort of my biggest cheerleader. That was a big loss. My father was quiet, but um, worked very hard. And I I sort of tried to model that. So it must, as if you knew your mom in a different way than you knew your dad, because she was uh, so much more uh, available in that way. I don't know if available is the right word, but uh, transparent about who she was. Correct. Well, I think he was sort of, you know, a dad of the 60s. I mean, I don't mean to say that in a generalization, but men have evolved into different roles now. And so looking back, being 24, what would you offer to somebody else who's maybe in a similar situation of having both parents die? For, um, I think I would say to them that, you know, you need to honor them and all the hard work they did by sort of going on and doing the best you can. And you're here and there are people like, the truth is there are people 24 years old that are not here that are, you know, struggling with their own health ailments. So the fact that you're healthy and you can go on, 
you know, you have to do the best you can while you're here and, and life will get better. It will get better. There'll be sad moments, but it will be, it will get much better. That's sort of all I wanted. Like that, that's the problem. I never had anybody that had any, had been through it to tell me that, you know, that's what you're sort of searching for. Yeah. Almost like the role that your mom played. It sounds like your mom was the one that was like, things are going to be okay, no matter what. Right. And here you were having to tell yourself that because there wasn't anyone else for you to connect with. That's right. Yeah. I wonder too, how your experience may have been different if you had had access to a support group, or like you said, online, there's a lot of different ways that people can read about other folks' experiences. Oh, it's a whole different world now. I mean, I just actually did was part of a, a production called The Conversation um, Stories That Matter, and it was all about mother loss. And um, and it was all age groups talking about this. And we all said the same thing was 20 years ago, nobody talked about it. You could never find anybody that had lost. I mean, there's no wonderful groups like, like your center um, to just find anyone that was a little bit ahead of you to tell you that there's that you will be okay, to be sort of a mentor and a role model. Yeah, I think that idea of like, oh, there's people and they're still like doing things in the world and they're also still grieving. You know, like that example that if it's a year out and you're still having really hard days, there's not really anything wrong with you. Like that's normal for grief. That's right. That's right. Well, Cynthia, as we get to the end of our conversation today, I know we mentioned your essay, which I'll put in our show notes. Are there other uh, places people should be looking for your work and your the work you're doing in this this realm? Sure. Um, I'm involved in something called The Conversation, Stories That Matter. We were at HBO in the fall and it was all about mother loss. And we hope to have a second run of it, maybe sometime this year. So that's something talking about mother loss across the ages. And that was with uh, Hope Edelman, the author of Motherless Mothers and Motherless Daughters, and then Claire Bidwell-Smith, right, who also had both parents die when she was a young adult. Exactly. And um, Cara Belvin, who has a wonderful group out of Massachusetts, Empower Her, which helps girls who have lost their mothers. So we all sort of got together for this. Fantastic. Well, I will be putting links to all of those things, listeners, if you want to follow along with what Cynthia is doing and check in with the other people who are doing this really great work, too. And Cynthia, thank you for taking time out of your day today to talk about your parents and talk about your experience and what it's been like and how it's inspired you to be you know, the mom that you are today. Thank you so much. And listeners out there, thanks for joining us today. If you're new to Grief Out Loud, you can find all of our past episodes on our website, dougy.org, or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any other platform that you might use. If you have an idea for a topic, something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send us an email at help at dougie.org. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.